Our scripture reading today is from Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, "'You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy,' Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately the mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Ryan, for reading that this morning for us. We have, we're having a little bit of technical issues. You're, you're hearing a popping. I, I don't know when it's going to happen, uh, but it'll probably happen. Uh, and we're trying to isolate where that's coming from, but it's new, and uh, so it's just going to take what it's going to take for us to get to it. But we're working on it. Um, hey, it's good to be with you all this morning. Again, if we haven't met, my name's Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs. We've been in a sermon series on the book of Acts, which we started last fall, uh, and, we're, and then we went into Advent. We did a series there. Then the beginning of the year, we kicked it back in again. Uh, so this is technically part 17 of our sermon series on Acts. So if this is your first Sunday with us, you've got a lot of listening to do um, over the next week. Just kidding. Um, Although we do have a handy-dandy website and podcast and all that stuff, so you can go back and listen. Um, but today's, today's message, uh, today's passage, marks a pivotal point in the book of Acts. Uh, and it's, it, it, this is one of the things that I, I lament about most of our Bibles now being digital. Uh, you know, I, 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 had a, I had a moment where um, another sermon I preached where I said, I opened with, I, I said, uh, who, who has the holiest-looking Bible in the room? Lift it up. And it was just a bunch of cell phones that went up. Like, um, but that's kind of where we are. But I mention this because in, in, in your physical Bible, in the back, there are what? There are maps of the missionary journeys, right? And it's, it's standard. Like, if you grew up carrying around a physical Bible, you knew that there were these maps of the Apostle Paul's journey throughout Asia Minor with all these cool little lines. And we're getting into that today. Um, up until now, up until this particular chapter in the book of Acts, the bulk of the ministry that has been taking place in the book of Acts has been in the regions of Jerusalem and Judea. 
Does that sound familiar, that expression, Jerusalem and Judea? It's important because when we recall how Acts begins with Jesus' great commission, here's what he says to the church. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And Acts 13 marks the advent of what we know as the missionary journeys, and that is the intentional spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So it started in Jerusalem, spread through the regions of Judea and Samaria, and now it's going out. So today's text is an account of the Great Commission being fulfilled. And I think that's kind of cool. Um, not only that, but it marks the beginning of what would lead to the spread of the gospel throughout Asia and Africa and Europe, which would eventually lead to the spread of the gospel through North America, even to here in the Cool Springs area of Nashville, Tennessee. And so when we read a passage like this, it's important for us to remember that this is our story we're reading about. This is about us. It's not all about us. It's not primarily about us, but we're involved, right, in what's happening here. And so tracing the trajectory of Christianity, here's what's been happening. After Jesus rose from the grave, he promised his followers that they would receive the Holy Spirit who would empower them to be his witnesses, which would result in the spread of the gospel throughout the world. So it started in Jerusalem, and then it spread through Judea and Samaria, and now in Acts 13, the apostles begin in earnest to take the gospel out to the ends of the earth. It's beautiful. It's a go-and-tell kind of message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's really what I want to talk about today, how the gospel of Jesus Christ is a go-and-tell kind of faith. When you look at the evangelism model of the Old Testament versus the evangelism model of the New Testament, there is a pointed difference between them. In the Old Testament, faith in God was very much a come and see kind of faith. It was a come and see kind of faith. God meant for Israel to shine like a jewel in the desert, to be an oasis in a hard land. So as with the temple built in Jerusalem, it was the kind of faith that was centralized, that there was a place where God was said to dwell and people came to that place. In fact, 1 Kings 10 gives us a great example of this when the queen of Sheba hears of Solomon's kingdom and he comes and she comes to, to behold the splendor of Israel and particularly of Jerusalem. And when she saw what God had built, she gave praise to God for it. It was a come and see kind of faith. But then when you come to the New Testament, Jesus commissions us to no longer take a come and see approach. His gospel would very much be a go and tell kind of proposition. And every believer in Christ 
shares this great commission to go and to tell, that, that we will be his witnesses in the world. And as we progress through the book of Acts, as we keep going through it, we're going to examine many stories that are like today's passage. But at the outset of these missionary journeys, what I want to do is I want to narrow our focus to two primary questions. So these are the two things we're going to talk about today. What is the cost of a go-and-tell kind of faith? And second, what is the outcome of a go-and-tell kind of faith? So the cost of a go-and-tell kind of faith. The church in Antioch is the church that we're reading about here in this passage. And this is a church that has proven itself strong in its faith. These people were strong in their faith. There was a kind of a maturity there with them. We see it in things that they did. Like they took it upon themselves to take up a collection for a famine that was happening in Jerusalem. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, how this was the first, perhaps the first time in history where one race or group or nationality of people intentionally took up a charitable collection to help another race or nationality of people in another part of the world. These things weren't, there wasn't recorded. There weren't, there weren't records of this happening. It was, it was an unusual thing. In fact, it was so unusual that it made the people around the church in Antioch try to figure out what do we call these people? There has to be a name for them. And they came up with Christians, people who are Christ followers. And so that happened. And when they sent this relief, they sent Paul and Barnabas with them to deliver it. And then we read in this passage today, we start to see some of the leadership of this church. And it's very diverse. You have Africans, you have Simeon and Lucius here. And we have Jews, Barnabas and Paul. And we have a Roman who was, who was raised as a, as a friend of Herod's, uh, Menaean. So not only was this church, it had strong leaders, it had diverse leadership. But we also see that they were setting their sights on the furthest reaches of the world because they believed. They believed that the Great Commission extended to them. And they wanted God to make his purpose plain to them. I think this is something that Christians in the West in particular, it's easy for us as as Christians in the West to live a pretty low stakes version of Christianity. And by low stakes, I mean my Christianity means that I I go to church and I try to do right uh, and I try to mature spiritually, but there's not a lot of suffering that happens to Christians in the West that's specifically because they're Christians, not in the way it happens in the rest of the world, right? And so so there's a part of this where where it's important for us to... to, uh, wrestle with what's happening here to believe, to believe that the Great Commission really is for us. That when Jesus gave the Great Commission, you will be my disciples, my witnesses throughout the world. For, for Christians today, particularly in the West, to say, okay, this is, my, this is a commission Christ has given me. To live my life in such a way that I am a witness for him in the world. For the church in Antioch, it was serious. It was serious business. And so what did they do? They thought about the commission that Jesus gave and they fasted and they prayed and they asked Christ 
to use them. And the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, think of what this means for this church in Antioch. They, were have to, they, they had to release two of their best leaders in order to fulfill the part of the great commission that the Lord had for them. They, they wanted to follow God's will, yet here's what God's will meant. God's will was to do something that many would consider just too big of a blow for, for any church to withstand, for Barnabas and Paul to, to leave. It, it takes character to want to obey the Lord in this kind of sacrifice. And that brings us to one of the costs of a go-and-tell kind of faith. And that cost is this. We, as Christians, are never promised stability in this life. That stings, because, boy, do we want stability in this life. Not only do we want stability, but it is not that hard to tell ourselves that stability in this life is the whole point of being a Christian, right? But we're never promised stability in this life. In fact, what does Jesus say? In this world, you, do I need to finish it? Should I? (laughs) You will have trouble right? We're never promised stability. This is a cost of a go-and-tell kind of faith. In fact, we should assume the Christian life is one of seeing chapters in our lives come to a close. And I say that knowing, I mean, I look around the room, and if I know you even just a little bit, I know at least of two or three chapters in your lives that came to a close, where you were at a precipice, we've all been in this place, right, where we know something is coming and it's going to change where we live, where we work, where we worship, who our friends are, how we get around in this world physically. Like we have these things that come along in our lives where we see chapters in life come to a close and we carry the weight of that. It's a common mistake to regard Christianity as a system to serve our needs and bring order to our lives. It's dangerous because following Christ can become motivated by a grasp for things that Jesus never promised to us. And so even our spiritual energy that we spend trying to follow the Lord well will think the whole reason I'm doing this is so that life is pretty predictable and smooth. It's dangerous because we can go after these things that Jesus never promised us like tidy friendships or college funds, (laughs) right? Or nice homes or the ability to win arguments, And many of these things can be a blessing. 
I don't know if always the ability to win an argument blesses everybody, um, although we sure are testing that principle right now in our culture. Um, but while these things can be a blessing, they're not the reason why anybody should follow Christ. We should follow him because we want him, right? Uh, I'm, I'm borrowing an illustration that I heard from Tim Keller, but I'm using it in my own real-world context, okay? So this is not my own illustration, but what I'm going to say is true about me. He said it about, he said it about the symphony. I'm going to say it about art. Uh, when I was in school and I had to take art history, I studied art to pass art history, right? So I studied art to get a passing grade so that I wouldn't have to keep studying art, right? Now, though, as you might many of you know, I love art, and I study art to get art, right? I, I, I buy books about art because I want to read books about art, right? And you have things in your life that are like this. This is a good picture of what it means to grow as a maturing follower of Jesus Christ. That's often when we start off, it's because I'm, I'm obeying God in order to get something else. But eventually, where we need to get and where the Holy Spirit moves us is I'm obeying God because I want to get God. It's because I want him. I, I follow him because I want him. He's the object of my desire, not something that he might give me. When we follow Christ because we want Christ, then we read a promise like in Romans 8 that says nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that promise is soul satisfying. It's enough for us. It's enough for us to say, the reason I follow Christ is because of his love and his mercy and his grace poured out on me, and nothing can separate me from his love, and in that, my soul is content. So let me ask a meddling question along these lines as a way of testing your own spirit and your own soul before the Lord in this. What is one thing that God could remove from your life that you doubt you could afford to lose? What's one thing that God could remove from your life that you doubt you could afford to lose? God is constantly rearranging the pieces of our lives around us. And the reason is because his call on the lives of those around us is not merely to serve us. It's to serve him. And so when the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas out of the church in Antioch, the church's character was tested as a chapter was closing. But in their response, what we see is a sign of great health. Because they gathered around these beloved brothers and they laid their hands on them and they blessed them and they sent them off as an extension of themselves, as God's ambassadors. And this is one cost of the go and tell faith, that God rearranges the pieces that we or others, so that we or others may go when he sends us to go. If your aim in living the Christian life is to achieve stability in your home, with your friends, or with your job, or your family structure, understand that God may have plans to change it all for the sake of the spread of his gospel 
throughout the world. And so I get an interesting uh, front row seat to this as a pastor uh, because it's, it's, a na- it's part of the nature of the body of Christ that people come in and people go out. And sometimes people go out angry, uh, and sometimes, but sometimes people go out because the Lord is calling them to another place. And I feel it every time. You know, the tension of, of wanting these people to stay because they're so valuable and so loved in this community, but also wanting them to follow where the Lord would take them. But that may mean that they move to Virginia, right? Or it may mean that they go on to the mission field. Or it may mean that they stay in town, but they go be a part of another work that's happening, and I don't see them as much. And I know the whole body absorbs that. But if the Lord is calling us to be his witnesses in the world, then that's going to be a part of it. It's going to be a part of a go-and-tell kind of faith. It occurs to me, I may be in my own head right now, it occurs to me as I'm saying all this, I'm not planning on going anywhere. (laughs) I was just listening to this and I'm like, oh, this is the kind of sermon I would probably preach as I was about to announce I was leaving. I'm not going anywhere. It's just what's happening in the passage and I'm trying to be a servant of scripture here uh, for us. So um, so let me, if that's an elephant in the room, please no, Lord. Um, Oh, what have I just done? Uh, (laughs) Along with closing chapters, another cost of the go-and-tell kind of faith means writing new chapters. The church in Antioch closes a chapter with Paul and Barnabas, but then Paul and Barnabas have to go and start a new one by traveling to Cyprus. And so they're on their way. Now, why they went to Cyprus is a little bit unclear. It could be because Barnabas was from there. We know that Barnabas is from Cyprus, and so maybe they're starting with a little bit of a home field advantage. We don't know. But, but what, we, what we do know is when they arrive, the first missionary journey is this. They arrive, and, and the plan is pretty simple. They go to the eastern port of Salamis, and then they're going to traverse the island to the western port of Paphos, which is about a 90-mile walk. And they're just going to visit synagogues and tell people about Jesus from one end of the island to another. And along the way, what they do is they preach in the synagogues and then they go to the Gentiles. This is a pattern that we see in the book of Acts to the the Jew first and then to the Gentile, right? And one of the things that I think is beautiful about this and comforting to me is not much worth noting seems to happen. Uh, We don't get a lot of reports about the fruit of this journey. Uh, It's just they go from one side of the island to the other and they talk about Jesus. And it's, it's a very common thing, starting a new venture. So, for example, we're starting student ministry here, right? You know what we don't have? A ping pong table. And we don't have a youth pastor. And we don't have a fancy youth room with, with lights and uh, walls that are painted bright colors. And th- we may never have that. But what we do have <coughs> is the beginning of something. We have the beginning of a student ministry. And we look at our children's ministry and the number of fourth and fifth graders that we have, and we know that even if we didn't grow, we're desperately needing a student ministry by this summer. (laughs) Um, 
at least a middle school ministry. And so we're starting something. And, and part of doing that is you have to begin these new chapters, so many of them, with, with a lot of just confidence and trust that the Lord is going to do what he's going to do and the time he's going to do it and to know that these things may take some time. And yet, the Lord delights in this kind of thing. He delights in writing new chapters. What we can assume from Paul and Barnabas' journey is that their message did spread because by the time they arrived in Paphos, the proconsul, who is the acting Roman magistrate there of that island, he wanted to hear their message. I love stories like this uh, in the book of Acts because they're everywhere. They're where, they're where people who don't believe are confronted with the basic message of the gospel and there's a range of things that happen. So here, the proconsul he's described as a man of intelligence. He's an educated man, and his posture is he's open. He's open to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but there's a problem. And the problem is he has a worm tongue, right? For you Lord of the Rings fans, right? He has a, he has a, he has a counselor who is a sorcerer uh, whose livelihood relies <coughs> on this Roman magistrate paying him. For his counsel. But the message of the gospel is a message of exclusivity, right? That faith in Christ alone is all you need for salvation. And so the magician, seeing the potential damage to his bottom line, seeks to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Now, we saw. back in Antioch, that the people prayed and that the Holy Spirit was with them as they set apart Barnabas and Paul for missions. But now, in verse 9, we see something beautiful. And that is that the Holy Spirit (coughs) didn't just send Barnabas and Paul, but the Holy Spirit went with Barnabas and Paul too. And this is how God works. This is how he works. He doesn't send us without also going with us. And that's good news. It's good news because it's true. It's how God works. And so, with the Holy Spirit, Paul rebukes this false prophet under the Spirit's leading. And he also rebukes him with a play on words. The magician's name, Elmas, uh, he had taken the name Bar-Jesus, which literally means son of Jesus. Um, We don't know if he's referring to Jesus of Nazareth or not. He might be. Um, It's possible that he was linking himself with Christ, having heard of Christ's power. Regardless, Paul says he is not a son of Jesus. He is the son of the devil. That's the play on words that he has here. But what we have to notice about Elymas is that he wasn't opposing Paul and Barnabas. What he was opposing, he was opposing the proclamation of the gospel. He did not want the proconsul to trust Christ because he wanted the proconsul to trust him. And that, my friends, is how Satan works. To just get us to trust anything other than Christ, and his work is done. C.S. Lewis talks about this in the Screwtape Letters. You know, as the elder demon is counseling the younger demon on how to lure his patient away from faith, 
is he says, you don't need to get dressed in the, you know, red tights with the pitchfork and the pointy tail and the cloven hooves and scare him. You just need to put his affection on anything other than Jesus and your work is done. He doesn't even need to know you're there. And such is the story of spirituality in the West, right, is that we put our faith in things trusting in them to have salvation for us. That's what the pro-council wants, or that's what the, the magician wants. And we know Paul was bold, like Paul is a bold character from beginning to end, but still we see the beginning of a new chapter, which would include many occasions where he would have to stand up to opposition, often in foreign places and with no real protection except God's protection. And this is a key cost of the go-and-tell kind of faith, is that God calls us far beyond what we're comfortable with to things that change how our lives look. And so when we're building come-and-see kind of lives, when we're building come-and-see kind of lives, we're going to find this this constant tension with the go-and-tell gospel that Christ commissions us to proclaim. And so the call for us is to pray and to ask the Lord to give us the Spirit's help in closing chapters we need to close and in writing new ones as he leads us in the going and in the telling. What's the outcome of a go and tell kind of faith? That's some of the cost. What's the outcome? The outcome of Elmas's persecution is that he is struck blind, which is an ironic problem for one making his living on the strength of his ability to see the future. And the proconsul, another outcome is the proconsul saw the spirit at work and he believed the gospel. He was astonished at the teachings of the Lord. When you look at the missionary journeys, when you consider that most, if not all, of the apostles were martyred for their faith, they died for their faith, it can be easy for us to assume that the point of the book of Acts is to tell us how hard it was for the early church, how much they suffered, right? It's to tell us the stories of the martyrs so that we can learn to be more grateful for what we have, right? But martyrdom is not ultimately the outcome of the go-and-tell kind of faith. The outcome of the go-and-tell kind of faith which brings brings glory to God, is this. Jesus Christ prevails. That's the outcome of a go-and-tell kind of faith. Jesus Christ prevails. Acts 13 shows us the point of the book of Acts. There's opposition, but in the end, Paul and Barnabas succeed as the proconsul believes in Christ. And here at the beginning, we have a picture of the end of the story. Christ prevails. Jesus Christ prevails. When Jesus calls his people to follow him, he promises that the Holy Spirit will be with them to be their strength. This means that the progress of the gospel doesn't depend, I'm happy to report, on your effort or my effort, right? It rests, the progress of the gospel depends on the perfect will of Christ working in and through our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ prevails always. Sometimes the apostles were beaten. Sometimes they were imprisoned. Sometimes they were killed. 
but in all things, Christ prevails. It's what compelled Paul to write, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. Understand that the spread of the gospel came at great sacrifice, yes. But also recognize that it made it to you. And it remains a go and tell kind of faith. It is Christ himself who brought the message of his salvation into your life. He prevailed. So please don't tuck the gospel away as a possession that is yours to hold on to. As though you were its intended destination. Because the gospel was not meant to simply flow to you. But it was meant to flow through you. And the outcome is that Jesus Christ will prevail. So the assurance you have today is the same that Paul had. It is through the Holy Spirit that the gospel takes root in anybody's heart. And that is profoundly comforting. Because I'm sure you have people in your life, I have people in my life, where what I want more than anything in the world is for the gospel to take root in their heart. And I cannot make that happen. Not once. I can't. But Jesus Christ prevails. He prevails. 100% of the time. May you never fear resistance to the gospel because Jesus Christ prevails. And may you spend your life going and telling the gospel with that same courage because Jesus Christ prevails. He does. Let me pray. Father, it's easy to read passages like this as as, uh, transmissions of chronology, of just telling us this happened and then that happened and then that happened. Um, But if we read with our imaginations engaged as we're obligated to do when we read scripture to try to understand the the things that are not written on the page but inferred as part of the human experience then we then we have to know that it was not an easy thing for the church in Antioch to send Barnabas and Paul out it cost them it cost them the comfort of strong spirit-filled leaders it cost them the encouragement of brothers and friends, and yet, part of the role that you played through the church in Antioch was that it would have this distinguished honor of being one of the first true sending churches in the world, that they would be a hub that Paul would return to throughout his life as a missionary, that he would go there to refuel, that he would go there to be encouraged, that he would return and be welcomed as a friend and a brother and a father in the faith. Father, I pray for, the, for, for, for all of us in this room and the, the chapters in our lives that may be coming to a close. Um, 
For some of us, it may be the thing that is the most consuming thought, day in and day out, is some chapter that is coming to a close with so much uncertainty surrounding it and so much emotional volatility and, and, and wishing different outcomes or, or things had gone better or that we'd you know, not done certain things we regret doing or that you know, we wish we'd done this sooner. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that your spirit would bring calm and, and courage and confidence um, to our hearts as we navigate those things, trusting that you lead and you work. Would you help us to see the places in our lives where we are seeking to uh, uh, equate our spirituality with a quest for stability and, uh, and tranquility in this world? Would you help us to see the idolatry of that? Um, and uh, Father, for the chapters that we're starting, for the, for the new chapters that are, that are being written, for courage to face the unknown, uh, for courage to trust you in, in, in baby steps along the way where we take a step but we, we can't see that those, the, the false summit uh, that we think is the top and, and then we get around a corner and we realize this, it's not the top, we've got so much further to go. Uh, Lord, would you give us confidence that as long as we're following your lead, uh, that you're the keeper of the clock. And uh, so, Lord, give us patience there. Father, I thank you uh, for your work in the world, for the way that you used Paul in these missionary journeys uh, to advance the gospel. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.